Are you looking to grow revenues, increase profitability, or obtain financing? If so, you came to the right place. Running a business is all about leadership. How do you become a better leader? Learn from the successful entrepreneurs and business owners how to lead your organization more effectively. That's why we created Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business, to help you succeed with your host, Andrew Frazier, Business Growth Pro and CFO and founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're joined by experienced entrepreneurs and business owners who share their secrets to success via live stream. Also, every Friday morning, we release a new podcast episode. Either way, you will learn about developing your business leadership skills from our roster of highly performing guest experts. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com. Welcome back to Leadership Live at 805. This is Andrew Frazier, your host, and excited to be back with you again talking small business. Each week, I look forward to having a special guest where we talk about key and relevant issues for entrepreneurs and business owners like you. This evening, my special guest is Alex Rubin, and she's going to be talking about the top three employment issues for business owners. Wouldn't you like to know what those are and what the answers are? Glad that you're here to join us. Um, Alex has many years experience in employment law. Uh, she has her firm where she works with clients of all sizes here in New Jersey and um, you know definitely excited to be here. I could tell you more but I'd probably mess it up so I'm gonna let her tell you more about who she is, how she got here, what she doing. Hey Alex, welcome to Leadership Live at 805, and I'm excited about talking small business with you this evening. Well, thank you, Andrew, for having me as a guest on your show. I'm excited to be here. Uh, lots going on um, in the employment law world this week. Okay, yeah, no, it's getting kind of kind of exciting, um, and you know, like I always say, you know, the pandemic's been challenging, but with challenges come opportunities, and. You know, it's about being able to find new solutions to the new problems. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, definitely in terms of employment, um, given the pandemic, given some of the legislation that's been uh, put in place, um, the sands have been shifting. There's been, there's a lot of change and not everybody knows what that means for them and a lot of confusion so it's great that you're here this evening to clarify some things um, and just help make sure people know that they're thinking about things in the right way so definitely glad to have you and thanks for joining yeah sure okay so let's start out um with who you are um you know i i met you not too long ago but um you know, I don't even know exactly who you are and where you came from and how you got here. So can you um, share share that with us and enlighten us sure. on some of that? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in Whitestone, Queens. Um, I went to college in uh, 
Massachusetts, um, Tufts University. And then uh, I spent a little bit of time abroad, came back, uh, went to journalism school. And then I got bored and I decided to go to law school. Um, journalism school was a great stepping stone for law school for me because writing skills I, I have found in my legal career are really, really important. And I was able to hone those skills in journalism school. And I mean, I was also an English and French major. I always liked to write. And now I'm using my writing to, you know, to be persuasive um, and, and to advise and counsel in particular employers. Um, although I do work with employees as well, <laughs> just as a, you know, just to let everybody know that. Uh, so um, I started my firm. Uh, it'll be 11 years in a week. Actually, next week, it'll be 11 years I've had my own firm. I just celebrated my 25th reunion from the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Hard to believe. I graduated law school 25 years ago. Um, and I got into employment law really because, um, well, number one, I liked the class in law school. But more than that, I worked for the legal clinic at my law school. And my very first case in the clinic was an employment law case. And that really piqued my interest. And then I also worked on the labor and employment law journal at law school. Again, I was writing about employment law. So I decided when I graduated that I really wanted to focus my practice on employment law. Now, when you go to work for a big firm, they don't let you do that right away. But it was always part of my practice. And eventually, when I went from two large firms, started at one, two large firms, then a smaller firm, I started to really focus on employment law. And then when I opened my own shop, I decided that's it. I'm only going to do employment law. So that's what I do exclusively. Okay. So you're a New Yorker, huh? Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. And, <laughs> and, and, and you crossed the pond well, into New Jersey. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been back and forth and had to change my driver's license. And then I lived in Pennsylvania, too. My husband's from Philadelphia. Okay. Um, that's where I went to law school and okay. journalism school. So, yeah, the, the, okay. that's my tri-state, even though I know Connecticut is technically our tri-state up here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, excellent. So, um, you know, one thing I, that you mentioned that I think um, is worth note in um, one of the most important things you can do to increase your value as a business owner or an employee is increase your compute communication skills, learning how to write, learn how to communicate. And you know, that you, you had a strong foundation because of that. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, how that's helped you? And, uh, because I, you know, definitely want to at least yeah. highlight that we're going to get to the main topic, but okay, um, was sure. Um, what's interesting about that is my son is actually a journalist now. <laughs> I don't think he's going to go to law school, but he's in the journalism field. But um, putting that aside, um, you know, I noticed when I was in law school that some of my classmates were really struggling with the writing aspect uh, of, you know, what we had to do. We, we call it writing briefs, you know, when you have to write persuasive arguments for the court. Um, and um, I didn't struggle with that. The only, you know, I did have to kind of pivot as everybody's has done now this last year in the, in the pandemic, but I did have to pivot, kind of tweak my writing skills, write in a different style. There's the journalism style and then there's the legal style, but without, you know, it really, the journalism helped me write in plain English, which a lot of lawyers unfortunately don't know how to do. Um, but I still had to pivot things a little bit because being persuasive is different from being informative. And, you know, there's an art to both. 
Um, so that's really, you know, that and, and you mentioned communication, Andrew, and that's, you know, communication is much broader than just writing. It's knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to get information from people, knowing how to interview. So a big part of a journalist's job is interviewing. Right. And and that's a big part of a lawyer's job, too, is interviewing your clients. Um, you know, we don't always call it that, but it re that's really what it is, getting the information from your clients. So, you know, what do they need? What do they what do they really need help with? And you have to really dig deep. And because sometimes, you know, lay people don't know what lawyers know. And we have to kind of dig to see what is it that's the real problem that we can help with as lawyers. Great. So, yeah, no, definitely that, um, you know, I, I, when I went to school, I studied engineering and I, I actually picked a school that you didn't have to take any writing classes. Uh, <laughs> and little did I know that I was missing out on the most important thing. So I had to learn the hard way. Uh, but as of now, I've, I have very good writing skills, but, um, and I think as little math and science as possible. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, but you know, the writing will take you further than the math and science will, in in many in many respects. Mm -hmm. But it's better to to have both. So, yeah. and we're going to be talking about really three key employment law issues that you need to be aware of today, and not only do you need to be aware of, you need to understand how they've changed. So first of all, what are these three things, Alex? Uh, you know, there's a lot of employment law issues that could be out there. What are the yeah. three top ones right now? And look, obviously there are more than three, but we I, we picked three, the three that we feel are the most topical for at least this week. Um, and uh, so it's masks, which everybody's heard about a lot about lately. Vaccinations, again, everybody's you know heard a lot about those lately. And cannabis, which is also pretty current in the news, and and they all affect employers and employees. They all affect the workplace. Definitely, each of those, uh, you know, they're different, but they have some similarities or some overlap. Uh, yes. So, you know, definitely, given what's going on with with uh, COVID, um, a lot of challenges. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of deaths. Uh, you've got the vaccines out, you've got the vaxxers, you've got the anti-vaxxers, you've got the I'm not sure crowd. Um, let's talk about vaccines. Uh, I just got my second one last Wednesday, so um, hey. in about a week I'll be safe. Uh, and you know, But everybody has their own view on that. But sure. you know, what's going on in terms of you know, getting vaccinated, the vaccines, you know, is it going to keep you from being able to do stuff? Uh, you know, how, how, how is that working these days as an employer? Yeah. So, you know, the big question for employers is, can, can employees require their employees to get vaccinated in order to come back into the workplace? Um, that's a huge issue. And I, I will tell you that I have not been recommending that employees do that. Are they allowed to do that under the law? Yes. The, the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, that's the federal agency that regulates the employment laws, um, has come out and came out a while ago and said it's okay for employers to require it. But there are two exceptions. 
uh, the, two, the two exceptions are, number one, if an employee has a disability that prevents him or her from getting the vaccine, then obviously the employer cannot require it and would need to make what's called a reasonable accommodation for that employee, either allow that employee to continue to work from home, you know, put up the barriers, mask wearing, or, you know, make sure there's social distancing. And we're going to talk more, a little more about that too. You know, as long as these rules are still in effect, and we'll talk more about that too with them regarding the masks. So yes, Andrew, as you said earlier, there's a lot of overlap here between masks and vaccines. Um, but employer cannot require an employee who is, whose doctor says you cannot get the vaccine be, because you're high risk for some having some you know bad reaction or what have you. I don't think there are too many people in that category, but there may be a few. The right. second, now there is a second exception, and that is for someone who has what's called under the law, a sincerely held religious belief that, you know, there are people whose religion forbids them from getting any type of vaccine. Um, and again, so an employer, you know, that would be, you know, a problem that would be religious discrimination. And so that would be an issue too. And again, an employer would have to make an accommodation for that employee. Other than that, you know, people have asked, well, what if, what if your employee is pregnant? Can you force a pregnant woman to get the vaccine since they didn't test these vaccines on pregnant women? Well, you probably could. I wouldn't recommend it, but you, you probably could um, under the law. You know, again, unless, unless the woman's doctor who's, you know, following her pregnancy says, no, she cannot get the vaccine. There hasn't been any evidence that the vaccines, and again, I'm not a doctor, so don't take this as, as you know, as medical advice, but um, there hasn't been any evidence as far as I know that, you know, it's, it's a problem for pregnant women. In fact, it would protect the unborn child as well, from what I've heard and understand. Um, but so, and again, pregnancy is a short-term thing, so perhaps depending on at what stage she's in, she could wait and get it a little later um, if that's a concern. But yes, you could fire an employee if your policy, and again, as long as you apply the policy across the board and require everyone, unless they meet one of those two exceptions I just mentioned, if you require everyone to have the vaccine to come back into the office, well, then you could fire an employee or not allow them to come back to work, um, which I guess would be the equivalent of firing them unless they can work from home and you're okay with that as the employer. Um, and that's okay. But again, I don't recommend it. Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll let Andrew ask me another question related to this. Okay, so, you know, definitely, you know, you, it's like you can, but at your own risk because, right. you know, there could be discrimination. But now you can have problems the other way too, because if there's people who are vaccinated that have a problem working alongside people who are not vaccinated, yes. what are their rights and how, how should you consider dealing with that? Well, and then you, and this gets into the mask wearing, um, then you keep the mask protocols that you had before the CDC changed its guidelines and before Governor Murphy made his announcement, which actually there's a caveat to that, which I'll explain in a bit. But, you know, you keep those guidelines in place. You keep the barriers up. You keep make sure that people are social distancing or that people, you know, you, you really don't want to discriminate against people who haven't gotten the vaccine. Um, again, because maybe it's because they have a disability. 
or a religious belief. So then you're discriminating again. Um, so it's a real touchy situation and it could be a fine line. And the other thing is you don't want, you know, as an employer um, before the pandemic, employers were not allowed to ask medical questions of employees unless it had something to do with them, their ability to perform the job. And there's, again, a fine line there. Um, currently, during the pandemic, employers can ask about certain medical issues like, do you have a cough? Do you have a fever, sore throat, et cetera? You know, all this COVID symptoms to make sure that everybody in the workplace is safe. You can ask if someone's been vaccinated. Now, but what you cannot ask is if they're not vaccinated, why? Unless you're the, well, again, it's a fine line. Unless you're trying to determine, are they not getting vaccinated because they just don't want to? Or is it because of one of the exceptions, disability or religious belief? Um, but what about like employees asking each other? You know, that could get really tricky, right? And then you could have, you know, like you were saying, Andrew, the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers. And then you've got this whole, you know, war going on in, in your workplace, which you really don't want. So um, it, it, it is, it can be an issue, but I think employers just have to deal with it, you know, in the best way possible, seek some advice, some outside advice, legal advice, um, and just, you know, maybe don't mandate it, but encourage it. And when I say encourage it, well, you know, without getting into politics, I actually like what President Biden said was that, you know, give everybody a day off, you know, give them that day, you know, a day or if they need more, but give them that time off to get the vaccine and to recover from it. And don't count it as a regular paid time off for sick day. You know, that's an extra day. Now, the advantage to employers of this, well, maybe it's not an advantage, but it's a win-win because the employee gets an extra paid day off. Um, granted, they're getting, you know, shot in the arm and they're not, may not feel so well afterwards, maybe just for a couple hours. Um, but also the employer gets, still gets a tax credit. Now this goes back to when the Families First Coronavirus Response Act was still in effect last year. But that has continued in terms of the payroll tax credit. If employers voluntarily give their employees that time off to get and now getting a vaccine is one of the criteria or recovering from getting the vaccine, they get that payroll tax credit for those that sick time that got paid. So it's really a win win. It's not costing the employer any more money. So we have a question for you. Um, you know, this. Um you know, it gets pretty deep. So um, we have a question from Miani. Thanks, Miani, for sharing. And you can see it on the screen. What if someone has been previously vaccinated? Can After that, can they claim a religious exemption for the situation? So I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, if the person's been vaccinated, I don't think they would have a religious objection because they've already been vaccinated. Well, it may be that they've had other vaccines before, but they don't want to get this one. This one. Okay. Ah, okay. Thank you for clarifying that, Andrew. Yes. Um, hmm. That's interesting. I Now, my understanding, again, I'm not an expert on religion, uh, certainly not on religions that are anti-vaccines, but my understanding is that those religions that, that, forbid vaccination, it's a, it's across the board. 
So those people don't get flu vaccines either. Um, that's my understanding. Why would a religion have an objection to the COVID vaccine versus the flu vaccine? Now, I know there are other issues regarding the two different types of vaccines because flu vaccines have been, you know, officially approved by the FDA. The COVID vaccines, it's still emergency use only, but that's not a religious objection. In my, in my mind, that's more of, you know, maybe philosophical or maybe some other type of objection, which um, isn't, you know, is not one of the exceptions. Cool. So we've talked about vaccines. You know, we got one more question on vaccines. Okay. And, um, you know, really in the state of New Jersey, because that's what, where we are, and every state has different laws, potentially, um, there are still some places that the vaccine is required, right? Or, um, yes. and so what, where, where are, where would it be required? So, um, it, I don't believe it's required anywhere, even in New Jersey by law. Um, but typically hospitals, doctor's offices, you know, any healthcare facility, nursing home, um, and, I've actually just learned that a number of restaurants are requiring it as well. So it's typically public facing businesses that are requiring it, but it's not, you know, it's not required by law anywhere. I don't, and, and actually it cannot be because it's emergency use only. And actually when you, some of you may not even remember if you did get the vaccine, but you have to sign something that says, or when you signed up for your appointment, you have to sign something that says, I understand that this is emergency use only and I am voluntarily agreeing to receive the vaccine. So, you know, but an employer can require it. I just heard of a, a national chain restaurant that that just decided to require the vaccine of all its employees. Yeah, I know there was a big thing in Florida with the cruise lines because, yes, you know, if, if you go on a cruise, they're not letting you go unless you're vaccinated. Um, right. Which... Well, that's the issue of showing your vaccination card. And I know the governor of Florida does not permit that, that employers or anybody actually to request the vaccine card mm -hmm. um, or, the, you know, what they're now terming the vaccine passport, although it's just it's a card. So, yeah, the state of Florida has outlawed requiring showing your vaccination card. So that makes it difficult. So how do you know who, you know, who has the vaccine and who doesn't? Like people are not, you know, unfortunately, people don't always tell the truth, right? Not to mention there are these schemes out there now where people are, I hate to say it, but people are manufacturing those cards fraudulently. I, I think we beat the vaccination to death. So um, unless there's any question, uh, any further questions, let's move on. Um, oh, actually, Miani, um talked about, asked about, is that a law? So Governor Murphy, Murphy Friday, was that a law? I guess there's no law that you have to get it. About the vaccine, no. What Governor Murphy, well, he announced, I believe he announced it yesterday, but at any rate, yes, his announcement was about, the, about masks, about masks and about, about lifting the mask mandate, about lifting the six feet apart social distancing mandates and and about um 
in another week. That's going to happen the end of this week, but there are some some caveats to that. And then about um, next week, the end of next week, uh, lifting the capacity, you know, numbers of people who can gather restrictions, both indoors and outdoors. And I don't know all those numbers, but that's not really an employment related thing unless you're in that business uh, and then you should know what those are. Um, but you can look at that up. I believe we're providing the link. Uh, Andrew's going to provide the link to the press release. That, and then there's a link to the actual. It's an executive order, which has the force of law because we are still in a state of emergencies in New Jersey. So the governor can still issue executive orders and this new executive order. So so let me go back to the masks. Um, you know, when the CDC guidance came out two weeks ago, a lot of people thought, oh, I don't have to wear my mask anymore. Well, that wasn't true in New Jersey. New Jersey, the out, outdoors, I believe you, you didn't have to wear a mask anymore, but indoors you still did. Now, what's interesting about the governor's executive order is that it's also not for everybody indoors. It's only for public um, venues right, public facing businesses and public venues where, believe it or not, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Now the CDC guidance is if you're vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're not, well, we recommend that you still do. New Jersey, they, they really didn't wanna make that distinction. Um, I'm not clear what the recommendation is. Of course, you know, from, in my opinion, if you're not fully vaccinated, you're better protected if you wear a mask, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> it's not the law. Um, but um, so in the workplace, I mean, think about it, you know, most offices, I'm not talking about restaurants or businesses, you know, that are open to the public or retail, retail restaurants, etc. You don't have to wear a mask indoors anymore, but an office building, you still do. So that, and that's pretty clear in the governor's new executive order. Uh, that has that mask mandate has not been lifted yet. So it's interesting. And you still have to social distance. And the rule has been since last fall that in an office, um, if you're at your own in your own private office or at your own workstation and no one else is within six feet of you, you can take your mask off. But as soon as you're close to people, you know, people are in your space, so to speak, or you get up from your desk and go out into a common area you have to put your mask on. And that's still the case, unless you're in a restaurant or a hotel, you know, or anything, you know, or supermarket, um, places like that, which I think is actually, to me, that's counterintuitive. I think the more people that are present, the more risk there is of transmission as opposed to in a small office like mine, for example. Great. So now just a follow on question from Miani. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you can't ask for people for vaccine cards. Is that law here in New Jersey? No, Justin, as far as I know, it may be in other states. I know for a fact it isn't. It is the law in Florida. Uh, okay. no, here in New Jersey, you can. Okay. And, you know, the fact is, if you're, as an employer, if you're giving your employee the day off and you want to collect the, you know, get the credit, the payroll tax credit, well, you never know when the IRS is going to come knocking on your door to say, well, how do you, you know, prove to us that this was because for, because the employee had the vaccine? Well, how do you prove it? If you have a copy of the employee's 
vaccine card, you can prove it that way. The other way, I suppose you could, if you don't want to have that medical information, you could, um, you know, have the employee sign something that says on this date and this date, I received the vaccine. Um, if you do get the, a copy of that card as an employer, you must keep it in a separate file, a separate medical confidential file, like you would any other medical documentation that you might have on employees for, you know, legitimate reasons. Okay. Great. Uh, been, been interesting, you know, um, a lot of <laughs> twists and turns, oh, yeah. a lot of stuff that's law, almost law, different laws, different right. places. So, you know, um, definitely. And, and it's still changing. It's ever changing. So yes, it is. It's yeah, hard but, to keep up with it, but that's, that's what I do. <laughs> right. But this, this has been, this is helpful. I mean, I, you know, definitely I learned some stuff. I'm sure everybody who's, who's out there has learned some things and we've been talking about the three things that you need to know as a business owner, especially now. And the first one is about vaccinations. Um, but and we talked a little bit about masks, which is the second one. Um, but there's places you have to wear a mask. Uh, and then a lot of places you may not, where do you have to wear a mask and where do the employees have to wear a mask? Yes. So, you still have to wear a mask on an airplane. Um, I was actually on an airplane uh, last month and everybody was wearing a mask um, on the plane and also in the airport. Um, same with trains, buses, uh, subways, you know, and any transit station, right? Any public transportation or public transportation station or depot, you must wear a mask. Um, so that is still in effect and and that's actually federal law, um, at least at the airports it is, because they have control of the airports and airplanes. Um, hospitals, doctor's offices, um, you know, nursing homes, you know, clinics, anything healthcare related, uh, in, indoors, you have to wear a mask. Um, Childcare centers as well, because children under 12 are still not able to be vaccinated. There are no vaccines available for them yet. So childcare centers and school and elementary schools. And I believe up until, let's see, it's been a while. So what, 12 years old is what grade? Maybe you know this, Andrew, <laughs> up until whatever that grade is. Probably so maybe not, I'm sorry, seventh. So yeah. I suppose elementary and middle schools, I'm not sure about high schools. I'd have to check that, um, but maybe not high schools because high schools, Students can be vaccinated now. And I understand a lot of them are very excited to get vaccinated. Um, yeah. Well, if you're going to be around a lot of different people, you know, that significantly increases your likelihood of contracting it. So, yes. you know, and, you know, in high schools, you know, there's a million kids. And, um, so, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, who has, you know, a lot of the high school students have younger brothers and sisters. So, so there you go. So I think it's, pretty much throughout the schools. So yes. yeah, teachers, you still have to wear your mask. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, definitely, you know, that's, that's key to know. Um, you know, Miani said, thank you. And, and she just wanted to make sure she wasn't breaking the law <laughs> for the guards today. <laughs> uh, so, so that yes. was good news to her. <laughs> You've asked your employees to provide the vaccine cards if they want to travel. Sure. I mean, look, you can, you know, employers have a right to be concerned about employees who are traveling still, although mm -hmm. the travel restrictions have been lifted. 
Um, but, you know, New Jersey was probably one of the last states to lift a lot of these restrictions. Um, but, and if you're traveling internationally, well, under federal law, you have to get tested before you, you're allowed to come back to the U.S. That is still in place as far as I know. Um, but um, so, sure, I mean, whatever, you know, yeah, that is still allowed. You can ask for that. Again, like I said, keep, keep that. That's confidential medical information. You're allowed to ask for it, but keep it in a separate file that, you know, only, you know, human resources or the owner of the company has access to. Great, great. So now let's shift to a different conversation that has been going on long before COVID. And, um, but finally, you know, a legislation has come to pass that has made it an option or at least a legal option. So, um, you know, I guess in New Jersey and New York, they have the ability to have legal use of cannabis. Um, and, you know, how do you deal with that as an employer? I mean, in the past, you could use that to not hire people. You could use that to fire people. What, what does that mean going forward? And what are you responsible for? Yes. So um, it's adult use cannabis. So I, obviously children are not generally in the workforce. So it is adult use. Um, you know, in New Jersey and also New York, there's been, you know, medical cannabis, right, has been legal for a while. And there is a statute in New Jersey that has allowed medical use of cannabis. And employers had to accommodate employees who were using cannabis for medical reasons, just like they would accommodate any other, you know, disability or illness. Um, the issue really with cannabis is um, influence, right? Are you, is the employee under the influence? It's, it's very different from alcohol in that you have a certain blood alcohol level, you're under the influence, you know, you're, you're flagged, you're drunk, right? You can't work. Um, cannabis is different. I mean, you could have, you could test positive for cannabis and not be under the influence because it stays in your system longer. So what the New Jersey legislature has done, they've issued regulations that require employers to hire what they call DREs, drug recognition experts. And these are people who are specifically trained. And I believe they're using police protocol to be trained. And this hasn't actually happened yet, but it, it's happening. Um, the regulation was you know, issued, but it, it's just in its infancy. Um, these drug recognition experts are the ones who determine if an employee is under the influence at work. So at work is really key, right? Um, as an employer, it is, well, New York actually has a law on the books that says you cannot regulate off-duty conduct. And that could be, you know, partaking of cannabis off-duty as long as it doesn't impact the job. And you should be cautious about that in New Jersey too, about trying to, you know, influence an employee, what, what an employee does after hours, right? Again, as long as it doesn't impact what they do on the job. So yes, you can for, forbid use of cannabis on the job. Um, and you can certainly discipline and or fire employees who are found to be under the influence of cannabis, particularly if it's impacting their work. 
So it can get a little tricky. I mean, testing, again, if, if you're a federal contractor, well, that's a whole other story because cannabis is still illegal under federal law. So then you can, you know, preclude anyone who uses cannabis anywhere uh, from working for a federal contractor. But that's a different issue. If your, you know, business employs people in safety sensitive positions like um, bus drivers, truck drivers, um, using, you know, heavy equipment um, where they really need to have their faculties, right? They need to know, you know, be very clear headed and know what they're doing. Um, again, it's still going to mean, it's still going to be about, all about recognizing, you know, having an expert, a drug recognition expert tell you this person is under the influence while they're at work. Just because they have it in their system doesn't mean they're under the influence. Okay, so that, that sounds expensive, especially if you're a small business yes. with 10 people. Um, Could be. You know, yeah. so definitely, you know, it's another case. Most business, most legislation doesn't really think about the smaller businesses and how right. it impacts them. Um, now, I suppose you could designate an employee to go for the training, but the training's probably going to cost something. But, you know, you, I, I suppose you can do that. Um, again, the regulations aren't all that clear about everything they haven't hashed it all out yet um but they're getting there yeah no definitely um you know can you know it's going to continue to change we're going to continue to evolve you know we'll probably have to have you back on again so you can tell us how <laughs> things have changed um absolutely which, which is great um you know we're coming up um on on um you know, I guess almost 10 to 9. Uh, I told you it would go fast. It, it, it yeah. goes really fast, you know, especially when, when you're having a good conversation talking about small business. Um, so now, you know, these are the three key things business owners need to know that are real current. But maybe if we could take a second to just talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of things do you need to do to keep from getting sued? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, there are a lot of things. Um, well, you know, if you have a problem employee whom you feel you need to fire, just be careful about that. Be, make sure you document their, their, you know, either poor, whether it's poor performance or misconduct or attitude, just keep a running record of their behavior so that when it does come time to let them go, you've got that documentation. I mean, look, in, in New Jersey's in what's called an at-will employment state, which means you can let an employee go for any reason or no reason, but be careful. It cannot be an illegal reason or a discriminatory reason. So if that person is that you, whom you want to fire is, is a minority, um, you know, and, and women are included in that. Um, so, you know, a, a woman, you know, a black, you know, women, blacks, Hispanics, um, any, any nationality that's not American, um, LGBTQ, um, someone with a disability, someone who might maybe complained about a workplace incident or something they thought was fraudulent or illegal in the workplace, a whistleblower. Um, be really careful with people like that in, when when you're firing them. But really, for anybody, you want to you want to tell the employee why. You know, you don't have to give them the whole song and dance, the whole long story, but you want to 
people want to know. Um, people get really angry and upset when they, they're let go and they have no clue why and nobody tells them why. I had a case once where the employee, that's all he wanted. I mean, he sued my client and all he got a little bit of money too, but all he really wanted was a was a reasonable explanation. And if you can provide that, well, and then I obviously have them sign a severance agreement, pay them a little bit of money so and have them sign away, you know, their right to sue and then you're in good shape. So that's my that's my tip of the day in terms of firing employees. Well, definitely, um, you know, that's something you want to be careful of because you know, yeah. once you get in that situation, it can take on a life of its own. Um, Absolutely. You know, experienced it and with clients and, you know, it's not fun and it's very stressful and yes. makes it hard to focus on you know, your real job and making sure your business is successful so your remaining employees can have a good livelihood as well. So, yeah, so cool. there's a there's a phrase I use with all my clients, hire slow, fire fast. OK, so, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's, it's good because, um, you know, it, it usually becomes fairly evident, fairly quick if um, someone's not going to work out. So yeah. it's better yeah. just to cut ties and let them move on and, and you move on. So uh, that makes, makes a lot of sense. So what I want to do, since we're getting real close, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to where everybody's going to be able to come out and do things. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of virtual events might start becoming more live and, um, you know, possibly combinations of live virtual events, uh, live and virtual. What is what has your experience been during the pandemic? Um, you've probably been to virtual stuff, live stuff. Have you been to a combination? And, you know, where do you think things are going in the future with this? I think, well, first of all, with the warmer weather, so we can do more outside again. Um, there are going to be over the summer more live events, you know, more like networking type things, right? I mean, obviously a speaker is not all that conducive to being outside, outdoors, uh, but I think people are getting, starting to get more comfortable and, and with the limits on, you know, numbers of people who can gather being lifted in, I guess, another almost two weeks, um, you know, that's gonna open up and I think people will start doing live events again. I just went to a small networking thing at an outdoors at a restaurant last night and it was like a happy hour and it was nice to see people in person again. You know, it, it really makes a bit of a difference. Um, I think the courts are starting to open up as well. Um, I was just, I just uh, listened into a panel of judges earlier today about, about what it's been like throughout the pandemic to be a judge. And, mm -hmm. and now, you know, they're still working from home, but soon there, some of them are going, starting to go back to the courtroom. So things are gradually opening up. Um, I think we've learned a lot in the pandemic that, um, and again, this isn't all specifically employment law, this is just my experience, that we really, you know, should take better advantage and can take better advantage of technology. And you don't always have to do things live, right? You can, you know, sometimes it's just more convenient um, to do it on, you know, do it on the screen, do it online. If people, you know, don't have to travel, you can jump from one event to another pretty quickly without worrying about travel time in between. 
or traffic for that matter. <laughs> so. Yep. No, definitely, definitely. Um, got another question for you from me, yeah. and this one is, um, you know, if you have a no smoking policy, does that cover cannabis? Um, hmm. And do we need to update our handbook to note cannabis? Uh, you know, I think you should. I think you should. I mean, because smoking, generally, people understand that to mean tobacco, although it could mean cannabis. The other issue about cannabis is it's not just smoked these days. I mean, there are edibles, too. So <laughs> you may want to, you know, cover that, too. Like, no, you know, no cannabis use in the workplace, period. Um, so, yes, I would update the handbook for sure. We're going to close out. Alex is going to give you some words of wisdom and key takeaways from this evening. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andrew. So just to recap the three, the three issues we talked about, um, we talked about um, vaccinations, right? And can employees require them? They can, but I actually recommend that you just recommend them, you know, encourage your employees to get the vaccine and give them an incentive like the day off, right? It's a win-win, you'll get the payroll tax credit for that. Um, masks, that's huge this week because, you know, certain um, mask uh, restrictions have been, you know, mask wearing has been lifted. Um, but keep in mind that that's just public facing business, public um, indoor public areas for indoor, private indoor businesses, you still, your employees still have to wear masks uh, under the governor of New Jersey's executive order. And then finally, cannabis. Um, the key issue in testing and disciplining employees is, is that employee under the influence at work? Um, and then just one more thing that I wanted to mention about, you know, going back to the office for businesses that have been working from home and remotely um, you know, you may have to make some reasonable accommodations for people who cannot work in the office, who need to work from home for whatever reason, as long as it's a legitimate reason. But, you know, it's 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 going to be harder to employers are going to have a little bit of a problem. I, I, I foresee um, some employees may be resistant to coming back to the office. They actually like working from home. But, you know, look, you can mandate that everybody has to be back in the office again, as long as that employee doesn't have some type of illness or disability that requires them to be at home. Definitely appreciate having you on the show. Um, you know, great information. You know, we had good questions, good comments, good feedback. Uh, and that's what Leadership Live is all about, really bringing you access to, you know, resources, um, tools, people that can help you be more successful in your business. So. Thanks again, Alex. Oh, thank you, Andrew. And look, anybody needs some more information, please call my office. You'll talk to my paralegal and we'll set you up on a strategy session. Okay, cool. And then, you know, Alex also gave us some videos that you can check out to learn more. So we're going to put those in the yeah. chat too. And, um, you know, definitely, um, you know, it was great having you. Great talking small business once again. So, again, Thank you. Alex Rubin, as always, you know, at the end of the day, as a business owner, the more you know, the faster your business can grow. Thank you for listening to Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business. 
Subscribe to our YouTube channel and to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.